Let us pray. Lord, may the words of our mouth and the meditation of our hearts be found acceptable in your sight for you, O Lord, are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Nearly 50 years in ministry. A long time. Nearly 30 of those as a pastor. That's a long time, too. But what makes me feel really old today is not uh, the moving process, although I'm sure that doesn't help, but it's just the fact that I suddenly realized the other day that I'm in my sixth decade of service to the Lord. The 60s, the 70s, the 80s, the 90s, the aughts, and now the teens. I must be getting older. And while I've not been sure of what I really wanted to say to you today, uh, there's one verse that just keeps kind of coming back to me over and over again. And it's this verse from uh, 1 Samuel. It's found in the English Standard Version. Some of you that are old enough to remember some of the synodical programs may remember a project, maybe back in the 60s, called the Ebenezer Project. It was a time for people to remember what the Lord had done for them and not to make a generous offering back to our denomination. But it says that Samuel took a stone and set it up between Mizpah and Shen and called its name Ebenezer. But it's this last part of the verse I particularly like, for he said, Till now the Lord has helped us. Or I think maybe in the old King James it said, Hitherto hath the Lord helped us. So when I reflect back on 50 years, actually 71 years, it's abundantly clear to me that this is very, very true. And as we've already sung this morning, great is his faithfulness. It's got nothing to do with the faithfulness of a pastor, although that's a nice thing to have. Nothing to do with the faithfulness of attenders, although that's a nice thing to have. But the best thing of all is to know of his faithfulness. This is something that I've been constantly aware of my entire life. And some of you know, uh, I've been writing a book of my life, it's a memoir, I've been working on it off and on for about 30 years, and the title that I was going to use is called Just the Dumb Kid from Nebraska. And the reason I chose that title is because that's really kind of what I consider myself to be. It's kind of over and over again, I found myself in places and in situations saying, wow, what am I doing here? What's this dumb kid from Nebraska doing here? I mean, imagine standing up in front of nearly a quarter of a million people in Nigeria to preach. And I'm sitting there thinking, what's some dumb kid from Nebraska, some white dumb kid from Nebraska have to say to nearly a quarter of a million black Africans? But then I always remind myself, it can only be the Lord's doing. There must be some purpose or some plan behind this happening. Now, considering the fact that I came from a broken family, my parents were divorced uh, early on in my life. My father uh, spent a lot of my growing up years in prison. I was raised by my grandparents from little on up. They were the ones who saw to it that I received a Christian education, kindergarten through eighth grade, a Christian education in high school, and saw to it that at least until I was married that I had a college education. And... I think about those things, and I think to myself, life's turned out pretty well. 
God has been faithful. Till now, and I expect that in the future, he will continue to help. In fact, I've actually learned to take some of my own advice I've dispensed over the years. Uh, for example, build a bridge and get over it already. Now, I should point out that even though I want to call my book Just a Dumb Kid from Nebraska, my son, who edits my books, created a slightly different book cover. He actually wants to call it Just the Serious Kid in Overhauls, a memoir by Dr. Barry Cole. If you can't read it, he wrote up there, Barry Cole tells the story of a young troublemaker from Nebraska who grew much older and lived many other places. Overall, he's really not that serious. Believe it or not, that is me. There's a story behind those overalls, and that's the fact that when kids were suddenly starting to wear jeans, because my grandpa always wore overalls, I had them. But one day I decided to leave my third and fourth grade classroom with a pair of scissors and went down to the boys' bathroom and cut off the bibs, and lo and behold, discovered there's no way to keep your pants up. (laughs) I walked down to the janitor's room where my grandfather was. He took one look at me. And he said, let's go. We walked two blocks home. He went into the other room, talked to my grandmother. She came out. She looked at me, never said a word. We drove downtown, and they bought me my first pair of jeans. Just a dumb kid from Nebraska. But once again, I have had some time to think about each place I've been privileged to serve. And the wonderful things and the wonderful people that I've remembered from each and every place. And at each juncture... I stop and I think to myself, till now the Lord has helped me, great is his faithfulness. And suffice to say, each stop along the way has been a valuable part of this dumb kid from Nebraska's life in the Lord. Starting back at St. John's in Peru, Indiana, then the Lutheran School Association in Decatur, Illinois, Hong Kong International School in Repulse Bay, Hong Kong, uh, Valley Lutheran High School, St. Charles, Illinois, Redeemer Lutheran, where I did my vicarage out in Richland, Washington, my first church at Emmanuel in Belvedere, Illinois, and then on to Trinity, Bloomington, Illinois, and uh, Lord of Life, where we were the longest for nearly 13 years in La Fox, Illinois, then Texarkana, First Lutheran, and of course, a little bit more than just being here on a Sunday or two for two plus years at St. Mark's in Mineral Wells, Texas. Now, in addition to those places that Nancy and I have lived, and we have, yes, we have moved a couple of times, there are so many people who have played so many roles in making a day like today possible. I know that any list of names that I could throw out uh, today, I'd end up leaving names out, and that's not meant as a slight. It just means that's what happens when you get older. You don't remember as much anymore. But I do want to mention some really important people in my life of ministry and in service. And I'm going to mention these names only because I think it's good for you to step back occasionally, too, and think about the history of your church. Or think about the places where you've been privileged to do ministry. And to think about the people who have been the best support in your life. And these are the people that uh, we call all the known Colbs. Now, unfortunately, they're all in church today. Fortunately, they're all in church today, but not here. But um, you all know Nancy. 51 years with her. I've known her for 53, I think. Our son Eric and his wife Cheryl. 
our daughter Terry and our grandson Josh and his wife Christina. Now, when you back and look back at your family, I think, Boyd, as you see part of your family sitting here with you today, you think about these people, life would be pretty empty without these people. Life would not be nearly as blessed without these people. Life would not be nearly as meaningful without these people. To encourage you and to travel with you on life's journey. But I'm not here just to give you a history lesson of my life today. Uh, I want to share with you, I probably could have called this sermon not vision, mission, and passion. I could have called it the killer bees. I thought about the killer bees, uh, but I thought that might frighten people in Texas because we are kind of worried about them from time to time. But there are kind of eight life principles that I have attempted to follow that the Lord has taught me during these years, which I would suggest are really not too bad for anyone to consider following. And even though there are probably more than eight, in fact, any time a speaker says, here's three good reasons, there's probably four or five. Three was all he could think of. Uh, and it doesn't mean it's an all-inclusive list. Uh, I am going to cover them in no particular order, so don't be coming up to me after church today and say, you know, the one you listed as first probably should have been last. If you do that, I'll probably tell you, oh, come on, build a bridge and get over it already. Move on. But let me take you through a couple of B's that I think are very important from a believer's point of view. Now, I want to preface this by saying that I'm talking about believers, and I'm going to make a grand assumption today that all of us here have faith in Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. And because of that, we know what that means. We know that God, like John 3.16 says, so loved us that he gave his one and only Son that if we believe in him, he gives us everlasting life. To be a Christ follower means that we believe that Jesus Christ was the true Son of God but also man. It also means that we believe that he died on that cross and he rose again after three days to conquer sin, death, and Satan. We have all kinds of things we could say about him. We talk about his genealogy at Christmas time. We celebrate things at Easter time and throughout the year. We talk about him and everything that he has done for us. Hitherto the Lord has helped us even to this day. Great is his faithfulness. These bees are really meant as, what could be our possible response to that great love? Well, here's the very first one I want to say is be content. Be content. Hebrews 13.5 says, keep your life free from love of money and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Do you remember the big rush to buy lottery tickets a couple of weeks ago? I just read this the other day, that the typical person who plays the lottery will spend anywhere between eight to $10,000 in their lifetime just buying lottery tickets. If that money were invested in, in certain places, you could probably generate that up into many thousands of dollars. But just to be content, what you have right now, I mean, just think of what you have. Now, some people say, well, I don't really have much. Well, you've got yourself. That's a good start. The fact that you're here this morning, you've got your health. The fact that you believe in Jesus Christ, you've got your faith. You may not have the biggest house. You may not be living in a shack someplace. You may not be living, driving the best new car. Uh, you may, but you got here. Most of you, I don't think anybody walked here this morning. You had a car of some kind. Uh, chances are you're going to get something to eat today. You're not going to have to go out and sit on the street and beg for something. But all too often, we forget that the God, the God we say, give us this day, our daily bread has taken care of us. Hitherto the Lord has helped us. 
Great is his faithfulness. The greatest thing about being content is to know that that last little verse, I will never leave you or forsake you. He will never leave us hanging. Here's another killer B. Let's be happy. A few years ago, and I can't remember where all these messages were delivered, but I, I may have even done it here, but I did a series of messages where I preached to the book of Philippians. Uh, sometimes when you're, when you're feeling really bummed out in life, go back and read Philippians. It's kind of a, a joy book. Uh, I mean, Paul can sometimes be pretty harsh when he writes the, Chari- the Corinthians, for example. But in Philippians, he's just bubbling over. I count it all joy. Uh, you know, be joyful, be even greater joy. Go back and read that about how happy a person can be in the Lord. And then maybe you go back and read the B attitudes. There's a bunch of killer Bs in the B attitudes. All of these things that always say, blessed is the man, blessed is the man. Well, actually, the word blessed is, in the Greek, is makarios, which really means happy. Happy is that person. Happy are people whose joy is in the Lord. Are there things that make you sad in life? Sure. I think we've all had sadness. Uh, We've lost loved ones, we say, too soon. But guess what? The only sadness I sometimes find is they just beat us to heaven. And that can give you a little joy. Do we ever cry? Sure. But even Paul reminds us that we don't weep as those who have no hope. We still can have a smile on our face. We can still be happy. We're happy in Jesus. Now, I'm not saying that being successful. I'm not, I'm not preaching some sort of a success gospel. At least not the way the world defines it. But you want to be, you want to be successful in this life, be happy in the Lord. Be happy with the Lord. Be happy under the Lord. Be happy surrounded by the Lord. Have a smile on your face. Too many Christians, too many Lutherans look like they were baptized in vinegar. Jolly up. I used to walk down the high school hallway and a young lady by the name of Kathy Zipoy would say, Good morning, Mr. Cole. How are you? And I'd say, Fine. She says, Well, let your face know about it. <laughs> Be happy in Jesus. Here's another one. Be with the right people. I have shared this scripture down in prison at Angola so many times, and I tell you, the guys down in prison fully understand this Bible verse. I've seen it reflected in my own life, but look, notice it says, blessed. In other words, happy, happy is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scornful. Now, did you notice that little progression from walking to standing to sitting? You know, when you start walking around with bad people, the next thing you know, you find yourself standing around with bad people, and then all of a sudden you find yourself sitting with them, making plans. I could take you and introduce you to hundreds of inmates who are serving life sentences at Angola and say, how did your life and crime begin? And they would say, I hung around with the wrong people. We went everywhere together. And then all of a sudden we kind of sat down someplace. We talked about all the bad stuff we could do. And when we sat down, we made plans to do it. That's how we got here. But see, it says, instead, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, the commandments. And on his law, he meditates day and night. This is my confirmation verse. I thought about this in confirmation because when Pastor Heidman put his head on my or his hand on my head and repeated this verse, I thought to myself, I think he's talking about some of my friends. <laughs> like you're hanging around with the wrong people. And they, you've heard me say this before. You've heard other people say this before. You can't soar with the eagles if you just run around with turkeys. 
Now, I can give you a list of all kinds of, of eagles I've had the privilege and honor of soaring with. Uh, Dr. Kent Hunter. Uh, you don't know him, uh, but, a, but a real eagle when it comes to church growth and the growth of the church worldwide. Or, you know, even Warden Burl Kane, stuff that I've learned from him over the years. Or Dr. P.J. Titus, who was the founder of Christ for India, uh, a group of people that I'm fortunate enough to be the vice president of that organization. Or Dr. Harry Went, uh, Crossways International. And at the same time, guess what? I have soared with eagles in classrooms that I've taught teachers I've been with, churches I've been in, friendships, people like you, people like you. I mean, don't say, well, we're just a bunch of old buzzards. Uh, you know, you're eagles too. You soar with those people. And your name may not be nearly as famous as some other people's names, but yet you find people that you can soar with. You're with the right people. You're with godly people, people who share the same faith you have, who have the same desires you have so that you're not led astray. How about be honest and straightforward? James chapter 5.12 says, But above all, my brothers, do not swear, either by heaven or by earth or by any other oath. And I'm going to stop right there, because how many people have you ever heard, Oh, I swear to it on a stack of Bibles, or uh, cross my heart and hope to die, stick a needle in my eye. I mean, all that kind of bogus junk like that. Uh, I tell you, anytime anybody said, oh, pastor, I swear to you. <laughs> no, don't lie to me. <laughs> That's my first thought in my head when they want, to, they want to swear to something. No, just tell me yes or no. I mean, that's, this is what Jesus is telling us through James. Let your yes be yes. I mean, don't equivocate. Let your no be no so that you're not caught. Uh, anybody know what one lie leads to? Another one. And that will lead to? Another one, you know, the uh, politicians, I hate to say this, but you know when you tell one lie and another lie and another lie, you can't even remember your lies. You know, if you tell the truth, that's pretty easy to remember. You don't have to change your story all the time. Now, I realize that I can be pretty blunt sometimes. Uh, I've said in the church service, uh, I remember at the Texarkana, can I, be blunt? Can I be blunt with you? And one of our old ranchers in that congregation, his name is Tommy Brundrett, says, what, you're going to start now? <laughs> and you haven't been to this point? Uh, but, you know, when the truth is shared with people, and I'm talking about the truth of God's word, or just the truth of situations, as long as it's shared in love, we're not doing it maliciously. We're doing it the way the Lord would do it. I mean, that's a whole lot better than just being wishy-washy and having no stand at all. Stand on the word of God, you won't have any problem. Because that leads us to the next one, be in the word. Second Timothy, wonderful passage again. But as for you, and Timothy's talk, or Paul's talking to this young person. He's talking to everybody. He says, but as for you, continue in what you've learned and firmly believe. Knowing from whom you learned it and how from childhood you've been acquainted with the sacred writings. Now, I don't know how long you've been a, a, a Christ follower. I was fortunate enough to be raised by godly grandparents. Uh, did I ever fight wanting to go to church in Sunday school? Well, sure, I, I was normal. Uh, you know, I wasn't some completely weird all the time. Uh, you know, but there was never a time I... I tried to skip church once a number of years ago. I couldn't do it. Uh, and it's a good habit. If you've got to have a habit, might as well have that habit. 
But, you know, I, I reflect back, and you can too, continuing what you've learned. What have you learned about Jesus in your life, and who did you learn it from? I mean, some of you have fond memories of back to, you know, Pastor Schmedlap at, uh, you know, St. Barnabas at Mudflap City, Arkansas. Uh, you have great memories of somebody, your parents, who taught you to pray that first little prayer. Uh, even if it's like, come Lord Jesus, be our guest, or now I lay me down to sleep, or uh, people who taught you how to pray. Uh, people who encouraged you along life's journey. But so, well, those people who learned it and how from childhood you've been acquainted with the sacred writings. Which are what? Make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Now all of this scripture, this is Bible. Is breathed out by God, and look what it's good for. It's profitable for teaching. In other words, you can learn something. I mean, I have learned so much from this book. Unbelievable. Uh, it, it is good for reproof. In other words, sometimes you, you get off the beaten track, and you need this. Uh, it's for correction. Sometimes you're just completely wrong. Uh, it's training in righteousness. In other words, righteousness is like right living or right doing or right thinking or whatever. But it teaches how to do this. That the man of God or the woman of God can be what? Competent. Uh, nothing worse than, you know, somebody comes and say, Pastor, oh, I wish you'd have been there the other day because when I was having this discussion with so-and-so, I sure wish you were there to set them straight. Well, guess what? I wasn't there. Why didn't you set them straight? Well, too often people say, well, I don't know the Bible the way you do. Well, no, you, you can, I started at the same place you did. Learn it. Know it. You'd be competent. It takes a little practice. Equipped for every good work. In other words, you've got all this equipment you need to live out that sanctified life in response to the justification that God has gotten for you through his son, Jesus Christ. You've heard me talk about Dr. Harry Went from time to time. I really wish you could meet him sometime. He's in his 80s now, doesn't travel much. All I can tell you is he looks like an 80-year-old version of Crocodile Dundee. He's an Australian, does not carry a big knife like that. Uh, but I have been privileged to know him off and on for, I don't know, 25, 30 years. And one little phrase that he's always used is stuck in my mind, and that is to work the word and the word will work you. Get in the Bible, work it through, and gets out in the process. It just works you. Uh, I have been with him any number of times when people have asked questions, and his response is, what does the text say? I mean, what does the Bible actually say? Read it, in it, around it, back and forth, all over. This one shouldn't surprise you, and that's just to be in prayer. Romans 12, 12. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Now, are there going to be happy times? Sure. Rejoice. you got hope. There's light at the end of the tunnel, and it's not an oncoming train. Rejoice in that. Be patient when you have problems. Anybody been through problems lately or right now? Oh, gosh, all of us. I'd be dancing. I wish that right now we could wave a magic wand and say, be packed, ye demons. Be packed. <laughs> well, yeah, next week be, un- be unpacked, please. All by yourself. You know, but be patient. It'll take place. But the last part is just to be in, in all of that. In hope and in tribulation. In other words, in the good, the bad, the ugly, keep on praying. Keep on praying. Now, I, I want to tell you that I'm trying to think how I want to say this. because I don't want it to sound really bad. I'll just say it and you can sort it out. Uh, 
Uh, too often we pray nothing but sick prayers. And, and, and nothing against that, but uh, think about that. Every time you pray, take prayer requests, we were at a church last Sunday when they took prayer requests, and every last one of them was a sick prayer. So-and-so's got this problem, please pray for him. So-and-so's got this problem, please. Okay, should we pray for sick people? Yes. But there's a whole lot more things to pray about than just sick people. In fact, I don't know in the Bible that Jesus ever said to pray for sick people. I'm not so sure that Jesus actually did. You know what Jesus did instead? He healed them. Boo. What if we did that? Just pray prayers for healing. You got anything good to pray about in your life? I gave a little illustration this morning. You know, just the fact that we're, we're packing and moving. Uh, <laughs> has it been easy? No, it's not. Uh, it's not an easy thing to do. Uh, to uproot and to leave and to sell houses and pack stuff and change utilities and all of that kind of stuff. That's all the disruptions in life. But as we look back, since the middle of December or so, everything has happened so quickly that only God could be behind it. So rather than pray, maybe help us get through this, our prayers, maybe another way, not that we we shouldn't pray that, but thank you, Lord, for getting us this far. Hitherto the Lord has helped us. Great is thy faithfulness. Now, as a young boy, I was asked to memorize. Now, I went to a Lutheran grade school, and one of our classes was called Memory. Anybody go to a Lutheran grade school where you had memory? Okay, a few of you. I hated that. Well, I kind of enjoyed it, but, I, but it was just like, oh, man. You know, okay, tomorrow memorize these three verses, or memorize this part of Luther's six chief parts, or you know, we, when our choir sang in church, Nancy's appreciated this, we never had a hymnal or music in front. We had to memorize all of those hymns. Because uh, we, we were not allowed to have a hymn book open and sing Rock of Ages. We had to know that from memory, all the verses. And I remember, though, in fifth grade, nice fifth or sixth grade, because I, I, I remember it only because I remember my teacher, uh, Mr. Schmeeding. We were to memorize 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 5, 16 to 18, and I, don't, I didn't put that in there. I should have. Uh, but you'll probably recognize this. This is, this is 1 Corinthians 5, 16 to 18. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Now, there's one little phrase in there that this little dumb kid from Nebraska couldn't figure out. That little phrase that says, pray without ceasing. I looked at that and I memorized it and I thought, that's really dumb. I mean, if I prayed without ceasing, I'd never get anything done. What am I going to do? I'm going to be on my knees in my closet, my war room. This is before the, that movie came out. And I'm just going to be walking around all day. Oh, Jesus. And I, I, I just drive me crazy. I just, I just was perplexed by it. And... And so I was walking up the stairs to the 5th and 6th grade classroom, and Mr. Schmeeding happened to come along. He was walking up, and he says, Well, Barry, do you have your memory work ready for this morning? And I says, I do, but I don't get it. <laughs> or something to that effect. He said, what, what don't you? I said, This pray without ceasing, this bugging me. And I can remember Mr. Schmeeding kind of put his arm around me, and he told me this. He said, well, I'm going to tell you, for me, this is just maintaining a sense of God's presence all the time. 
It's just living out a life of prayer. It's just knowing that God is always there, and occasionally, like walking around with a friend, you go, thank you, or be with me. It's life of prayer, just living in his presence. The other one is to be available. I love this verse, Isaiah 6, 8, And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? Now, when this is preached most of the time, the people in the congregation probably would answer, uh, Send the pastor. <laughs> send the missionary. <laughs> send anybody. Uh, Scott Wesley Brown has a great song, which is called, Please Don't Send Me to Africa. He said, I'll, I'll work in the nursery. I'll do the gardening at the church, but don't send me to Africa. I probably thought about that one time, too, because I thought that the only people that God would say, uh, who will go for me, I thought that only meant to, meant religious people like the pastor or maybe a teacher or some missionary. But he means us. But he said, whom shall I send and who will go for us? And then Isaiah, who was so overcome by the presence of the Lord, says, here I am. Send me, send me. Now, you've got to read the rest of this in, in context, because a few moments later in this chapter, uh, Isaiah says, and where are you going to send me? And God says, well, to a bunch of people who really basically don't care what you have to say. Kind of like your first call out of the seminary. Um, and then how long do I need to stay there? And God says, I'll let you know. Uh, but you still go. Now, a number of years ago, I began praying a prayer before you ask, the answer is yes. Do you know how dangerous that prayer is? I mean, you start praying a prayer like this. Lord, before you ever ask, my response to you is yes. That's almost like saying, and forgive me my sins in the same manner in which I forgive the sins of others. You better duck when you pray that one unless you, you intend to carry that one out. I was suddenly inundated with all kinds of requests. And I thought, oh, my gosh, it's like I said, Lord, whatever you ask, the answer is yes. But I got so many things that need, people are asking. And it suddenly dawned on me that you also need to have wisdom. You need to have discernment. That's what James says. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask. The Lord gives it to you. And he gives it to you in abundance. That needs to accompany every prayer. I mean, I can't go to every last country that somebody wants me to come and teach a workshop at. I pray for wisdom and discernment to know which one to do. See, not every opportunity that the Lord allows or even sends your way is going to be answered by a yes. It takes a little wisdom, a little discernment, some thinking about it. The last one is be prepared. Anybody here a Boy Scout growing up besides me? Wow. Scottish trustworthy, loyal, helpful, friendly, courteous, kind of, obedient, cheerful, sleepy, brave, clean, and reverent. I still remember that. But it also says a scout, what? Be prepared. I remember that. But here, First Peter says, But in your hearts honor Christ the Lord is holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Has anybody ever asked you, how did you make it through that? I've had people ask me that. I've heard it at, I've heard it at funerals. Man, how did you get through that? You lost your child. What does this passage say? Always be ready. Always be prepared to offer a defense. Anybody asks you for a reason, you ought to be able to tell them how you got through it. Now, it could involve all kinds of things. I was surrounded by a great group of people in my church. 
They gathered around me and supported me and loved on me and cared for me and brought food to my house and, and drove my kids back and forth to school and salt that we got all kinds of stuff until got through all of that. Or you may say, but, but more than anything else, this is a group of godly people who just made it possible. Uh, or, you know, if it weren't for the love of Jesus, I don't know how I would get through this. That, that's always be prepared to give that answer. But it says, do it with gentleness and respect. And that's a great thing to remember, too. Don't be a witless witness. In the town that I grew up with, we had a barber, and if you were new and you got into his chair, the first thing he would ask you, he'd kind of go, oh, you're new here, huh? Uh, yeah. Are you a Christian? Because if you're not, you, you better because you'll fry in hell. Uh, well, okay, um, that's not really the way to witness to people. <laughs> That'd scare the hell, I shouldn't say it that way, but it'd scare them to death. Uh, you know, be gentle about it. Gentleness and respect. You just tell them what you know. Uh, I mean, I, the number of times people say, oh, Pastor, I wish you'd have been here and you could have said this. No, you tell them. You've been through this. Uh, I've had countless numbers of time when people have come to me for counseling, and I realize there are people in church who could better talk with these people than me. I've never had cancer, but I know people in my church who've had cancer, who've gone through it and battled it and came out stronger on the other side in their faith in Jesus. Those are the people that ought to do this, to learn to refer people like that. In John 14, 6, I think I might have this passage. I do have this passage here. Jesus, this is Jesus' uh, words to his disciples. And we often hear this at a funeral. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I'll come again and will take you to myself, that where I am you may be also. And you know the way to where I'm going. Now, I'm going to stop right there because I always think of my grandmother who lived to be 95. And she started complaining late in life about why she was living so long and living in a nursing home. And, you know, her husband of many years had passed away. I remember talking to her one time and I said, well, uh, Grandma, when you die, you believe you're going to go to heaven, right? She goes, yes. And I said, and it's because of your faith in Jesus Christ, yes. And I said, and you believe that in the scripture where it says he's gone ahead of you to build you a place? She said, yes. I said, okay, he also knows how fussy you are. That's why it's taking him so long. <laughs> now, that seemed to placate her at least a little bit. But he's preparing a place for you right now. And then he said, and you know where this place is. But then Thomas, who always asks questions, and never think of Thomas as being an unbeliever. Thomas is just one of these people who ask questions. Lord, we do not know where you're going. He didn't quite understand. How can we know the way? And here it comes. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. See, that's really the gospel message that you and I are to share, whether we are in a Jerusalem or Judea or Samaria. Or like when I stepped off the plane in South Africa, somebody said to me, welcome to the ends of the earth. I mean, that's about as far as you can go from the States, to share that story. That he is the way, the truth, and the life. That no one gets to that place, that mansion in heaven, without going through Jesus. Now, I want to end with just one last little thing, and this is kind of my motto, and I've shared it so many different times in so many different ways, but 
Uh, see the vision, live the mission, feel the passion. That's, that's going to be on my tombstone someday, provided my wife remembers or my kids. Uh, hopefully it'll be on there. People can try to figure out, but I think all of us, and I want to apply this very quickly to you and to this church. We need to see the vision. The Bible says in Proverbs 29:18a in the King James Version, where there is no vision, the people perish. In modern translation, it says where there is no vision, people cast off restraint. In other words, they just do whatever they darn well please. We need to have a vision of the past. Now, in the past, there are oftentimes times that were not very good. I mean, every church can look back at its past and say, this wasn't a very good time. Or this, this was really a troublesome time or whatever. Every church is that way. I don't care what church you talk about. At times of the But I would say, really, to think about the past and what God did for you in the past. For, the, for you as a believer, what did God, what's God done for you in the past? He's seen to it that you've been saved. He sent his son. Don't ever forget that. See the vision of the present. What's God doing right now? <coughs> in your life. I give you that just a little example that, man, how can you move so quickly when you own, really have about three different houses that you own for a period of time and all this stuff kind of works. God just kind of work. you see God working through your life. That you actually made it through. Like, oh man, I don't know how I'm ever going to live through this. Well, guess what? You said that five years ago. Here you are. The present. God is with us. In the future. And the future is that thing, too, that we look forward to our place in heaven. You need to see that, to keep that constantly ahead of you. Uh, the prize that's out there, so that someday you're going to hear somebody say, Well done, John, good and faithful servant. Welcome. You see the future. So you see the vision, but you also live the mission. And in Matthew 28, 18, 20, there's only one mission. It's not yours. Uh, it is, by the way, the great co-mission. It is not the omission. Uh, it is the co-mission. In other words, you, you go with God. Go you. You should go in my name. He said, I'm going to give you my all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Now I give it to you. And you go and do what? Make disciples of all nations and baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. For lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. To live that out, to constantly be God's representatives in this world that we live in. I can personally guarantee that every last single one of you that are here today, if you pay attention, in the next month, let's say, in the month of February, you will have more than one opportunity to share the good news of Jesus in some way with someone. It just pops up all the time. You just sometimes have to spend a little time building a bridge between you and that other person over which Jesus can travel. I... um, Went to a Starbucks the other day for one of the last times, and there's a, a young girl there that has got one of the most radiant smiles and one of the most welcoming personalities of anybody in, the, in any store or restaurant or anything in all of Dallas-Fort Worth. I, I just, the first time I walked in, he said, hey, good morning, honey. She's got this great smile. I don't know what night my name was. So every time I come in, greets me this way. But at the same time, getting kind of to know her a little bit, was able to encourage her more in her faith. Happened to another person much the same way. Actually got her and her family back into church. And even though she did attend that church, I suggested to her very long, moved on to another church because she had young children that she felt like needed to know Jesus too. 
There's all kinds of people you can talk to. We're going to have a lot of people in and out of our house the next few days, Nance. Who knows? We may have some very ungodly packers and movers, for all I know. We may have some very ungodly technicians who are putting in cable. All that kind of, maybe you'll have an opportunity to say something to somebody. Uh, although I have a kind of a showstopper all the time when people say, now you're moving up here, now what do you do for a living? And I say, I'm a pastor. <laughs> and sometimes the chair slides back a little bit. But I say, don't worry, I'm not going to lay hands on you. But live the mission. And finally, just plain simple, to feel the passion. Acts chapter 1, verse 8 says, when the Holy Spirit comes on you. Now, when has the Holy Spirit done that? Well, many of us could go back to the day we were baptized, because the day we were baptized, the Holy Spirit came to live in us. He is now the resident president. Or whether you came to faith later in life and were baptized as an adult, the Holy Spirit is in you. He says, when the Holy Spirit is in you, what? You will be, it doesn't say you can think about it, or you might be, he says, you will be my witnesses. And then he talks about it. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the ends of the earth. Now, you may say, well, I, that lets me out. I'm never going to Jerusalem. There's too much, too much nuttiness over there. No, Jerusalem may be your own house. It may be your own family. Judea may be your next-door neighbors or your people who live close to you. Samaria, guess what? Samaria were people that the Jews didn't really like. Who are people, in all honesty, that you don't really like? Oh, we all got them. I mean, don't be going, not me. There's always groups of people, for some reason, you don't care for. I mean, there are people who have told me, I'm going to use somebody else as an example, but who say, why do you go down and work in prison with people like that? They don't like them. <laughs> you know, get over it. Get over it. Move on. But Samaria may be people you would not normally have anything to do with. That's a challenge. And to the ends of the earth, I don't know how far the ends of the earth is. It could be to the person who's sitting right next to you. Hopefully not in this group, but it might be. It might just be across the street. doesn't have to be around the world. I've been blessed by God to be in a lot of different countries, to speak to a lot of different people and teach a lot of different pastors. But not everybody gets to do that. But you all get to be witnesses. So my encouragement to you, even as I pray for every church, I think I have every church that I've ever been at on my computer, and I check their websites pretty regularly. I kind of keep track of them. There's always kind of curious as to what's going on back there. And I pray the same thing, and I think... Um, Nancy can confirm this. I think ever since we left Emmanuel, I have told him the same thing. See the vision, live the mission, and feel the passion. I almost wish I remembered something today. When I left Emmanuel Belvedere, I gave everybody a little red dot to put on their watch. And so I told them every time they looked at their watch and saw that little red dot, they would remember vision, mission, passion. See the vision of the past, the present, and the future, God willing, that God has in store for you, your family, or this church. Live the mission personally and live the mission in this church and feel the passion in sharing the good news of Jesus Christ with people and through this church. May God bless us all. And uh, 
as the inmates often say to me in prison, if I don't see you again here, I'll see you again up there. May God bless you all in Jesus' name. Amen.